Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are so excited that you are here with us today. Now, I don't know what kind of student you were or are, but I was always a terrible student, and uh, I struggled with reading, struggled with reading comprehension, and uh, I never put a lot of effort into it, and I just didn't have the great, the greatest study habits. And what I mean by that is I didn't have any study habits. And uh, I had a lot of things all wrapped into that, and I took all of those bad habits from junior high into senior high, and then I brought all of that into college. And to be honest with you, college for me, at least my freshman year, was just this uphill battle. Like, it was incredibly difficult. And uh, specifically, English. So I remember my freshman year taking English, and it was incredibly difficult. And I remember working extra hard, doing extra credit, even got a tutor, and passed my first semester of English, like barely passed. Then I moved into the second semester, take all of that grammar stuff, and now you've got to start writing and using all of it, continued to work hard, continued to use a, a tutor and all of that. And I failed that class. And not only did I fail that class, and by the way, English is my first language, okay? I grew up speaking it. That was, that was embarrassing to, to, to get that F, to know like, okay, you failed at English, Tim. Your understanding of English is unacceptable. Not only had I failed English that year, I had also failed biology, and I was incredibly embarrassed about that because my parents had saved up money and they had put that towards college. I had saved up money, put that towards college. I borrowed w with what I thought was going to be like free money, loans, but that was not the case. Put that towards my college. And now I'd failed not one class, but two classes. I felt like it was just a complete waste of time. And I was a big failure. And... I had no idea what I was going to do with that. Like, okay, now I've put all this, this time and effort, and it's gone. Like, whew, boom. You can't get that back. And I was really struggling with that. I didn't want anybody to know I had failed a single class. And much of what had happened that semester turned, on, turned into be something priceless. Let me give you a, one example. You see, later that summer, I would go back home, and I would take two classes at the local community college, English and biology. And you see, God had taken this 18-year-old boy who was at a Bible college, studying pastoral ministry, had taken lots of theology classes, and has now placed him in these secular courses with a, an English professor who is a hardcore atheist, not only was he an atheist, he was an atheist who had read the Bible several times, was extremely familiar with the Bible, could talk about it, articulate his way through all sorts of stories and passages, and that was my English professor. And I also found myself in a biology class, not only with, with a teacher, a professor of biology, and students who knew and loved science, but also wanted nothing to do with God. And somehow God had taken me out of Bible college and placed me into that environment. Have you ever wondered how God could use you? 
Ever wondered how God could take a failure or something that just got all twisted up and go, okay, how are we going to use that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today because God is going to use some unlikely individuals in some unlikely scenarios, and he's going to do something amazing in that. So grab your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, while you're turning there, let me just set the stage for you. See, we're going to meet a group of shepherds, and these, this group of shepherds, like most shepherds, were uneducated men. They were smelly, dealing with animals all the time, and they were the lowest on the totem pole, the lowest of society. In fact, people viewed shepherds, and they wanted nothing to do with them. They were unreliable. In fact, so unreliable, they would not allow a shepherd to testify in court because they were not known to be truth-tellers. And so this is the group of men that Luke introduces to us. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. I mean, it's, it's incredible that God would choose these individuals. There they are in the middle of Israel, in the middle of some field, watching their sheep, probably looking up at the stars, maybe around a fire, uneducated, unreliable, smelly guys that, by the way, because of their job, were not able to fully participate in the Jewish ceremonies. Because of their job, were not able to fully practice the Sabbath. Jews would have looked at these men and thought, huh, you? I'm not going to spend time with you. I'm not going to hang out with you. You're a social nobody. And God, in his providence, in his grace, chooses to use this group of people to come and have an angel deliver an incredible message. These are ordinary guys and there is this angel, and he's there. It's, it talks about this blazing glory around him. And some people believe it would have been like a fire around them, kind of like, like the, the burning bush was on fire, but it was not being consumed by that fire. That's the picture of this angel, just this blazing glory or blazing fire around them. And you know what? If I see that in the middle of the night, I'm starting to freak out and panic too. These guys are terrified. In the original language, it is, megaphobic. They are freaking out. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Like, as if that ever worked for any of us. It's like saying, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Don't, no big deal. But they have good news. And I don't know about you, but I love getting good news, don't you? When you get good news, it typically makes you feel better about something, right? It leads to a great joy. But in order to have that great joy, there needs to be two things, right? First of all, you need to be told about it. And secondly, you need to receive it. And for any of you who have been married for any length of time, you've probably had a conversation like this. I didn't know we had plans this weekend, Yes, you did. I told you two days ago. 
no, you didn't. <laughs> yes, I did. You just weren't listening. You have had that conversation. Now, I will leave it up to your imagination which spouse plays which, more role, which role more. And I will tell you, as this angel is there and there's a blazing glory around them and he begins to speak, these shepherds were listening to every single word. They were terrified. And there they were, a captive audience. And this angel begins to share with them about joy. And as you look through the book of Luke, joy is almost always attached to salvation. That you and I, we are a people who are in deep need of being rescued. And the angel says, there's going to be great joy, not just for the people of Israel, but for the entire world. Notice what he says about this baby. Verse 11, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you, you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So now there's not just one angel, there's an army of angels singing and praising God. And these shepherds are just sitting there. Their jaws have just fallen all the way down to the ground and they can't believe what they are hearing. They can't believe what they're saying. And the angel is describing this baby as a savior, as a Messiah, and the Lord. Why savior? Well, because of sin, sin separates you and I from God. That you and I, we're going to spend eternity somewhere. And because of our sin, we deserve, I deserve to spend eternity apart from God. And so God, knowing that, sends this baby. It's going to grow up to be the Savior, to rescue us, to rescue humanity from sin, to make forgiveness possible. But not only that, he's going to be the Messiah. He is the Messiah 700 years before the birth of Christ, a prophet Isaiah writes and predicts about this baby actually coming to be born. Here's what the prophet Isaiah says in, in chapter 7. Isaiah says, all right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel which means God is with us. 700 years before Jesus will be born, Isaiah writes that. And it comes true. And these shepherds knew that. All of the people in Israel were welcoming all of this. They were familiar with this prophecy. But last, we just see him described as the Lord the baby is going to be Lord. He's going to be, he is God. It's amazing because Jesus is not 50-50, 50% man, 50% God. He's 100% man, 100% God. And he's introduced 
into humanity through Mary. I mean, God could have done anything. He could have brought this angelic stork to just kind of drop him out of the sky. It could have chosen any method, but this is how he brings Jesus in. You know, in Bethlehem, there might have been one or two, maybe three babies born that night. And they would have all likely been wrapped up in some kind of cloth. But there was only going to be one baby that night that was born in a feeding trough. And so these shepherds have now gotten a sign. Go into Bethlehem, find this baby. It's going to be wrapped in cloth. And by the way, you're going to find it in a feeding trough. I don't know if you, when the last time is that you went to like an animal park or, or um, a zoo or, or you've been at a farm or maybe you work on a farm, right? It has a, a smell that comes with that, right? With those animals, you walk into the petting zoo and you are immediately assaulted by all sorts of wonderful smells, right? Urine and poop and whatever animals in there, it smells like that. Now, if you work on a farm, you're just kind of like used to that. Those are the smells filling the nostrils of Jesus as he lays there in that feeding trough. Why that? I mean, I mean, Jesus could have been born anywhere. He could have been born in a palace. He could have been born in some kind of amazing bed that was gold-plated or platinum or diamond, something far more beautiful than a feeding trough. Jesus did not come to be served. He came to serve. He came as the Savior, the Messiah, Lord, to come into humanity to rescue you and me from sin and from ourselves. It's amazing because he also came to bring peace. Notice what it says in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth. He comes to bring peace, but is it peace between you and your spouse? Peace between you and your neighbor or you and your boss or you and your siblings, you and your parents? World peace? What kind of peace? It's peace between you and God. Because of sin, our relationship with God has been strained. It's been broken. We've been separated. And so Jesus comes to make forgiveness possible, bringing peace. You and I... We're at odds with God, and all of a sudden, he makes a way, sending Jesus to come to be this baby who is one day going to die on the cross to pay for your sins and mine, to make forgiveness possible, to bring peace. But then, notice what Luke says next, verse 15. The angels had returned to heaven. The shepherds said to each other, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. They didn't wait around. They didn't try to figure out what tomorrow was going to be. They didn't try to make plans. I don't know what happened to those animals they were watching. I don't know if they played like rock, paper, scissors, like, hey, you got to stay and watch everything. But like, they hurried. They left immediately which speaks about their faith. That they heard this message about God. They heard this message about the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord is now here, and boom, 
We got to respond right now. We're going to do something about this today. And they are off to go see this baby. Their faith has taken action. But notice, notice how the shepherds respond. Verse 17. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone. They told everyone what happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Verse 18. All who heard the shepherds story were astonished. They were amazed. I mean, when's the last time you and I have told everybody about anything? Maybe the incredible Black Friday you de- deal that you got, right? You saved a hundred bucks off of something. Maybe it was that. Uh, maybe it was, it was a miracle happened in your own health and you began to tell everybody Maybe it was a show that came out or a movie you saw or something that was coming to town. You wanted everybody to know about that concert, so you told as many people as possible. They went in to every town. They told everybody they could, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Lord, the King of Kings has been born. He is here. And people were astonished. They were amazed, right? I mean, how amazing is that? They probably even told them, I certainly would, not like anybody would believe me, but like the angel and the angels and the blazing glory and the fire. Like, that's a story you tell your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids, and you just keep on telling that story. And people were like, whoa, that's amazing. I can't believe that happened to you. You see, God had given me an incredible opportunity. I'd finished a year of Bible college, studying for pastoral ministry, just failed two classes. Such a great student. And now he's placed me in these two classes, surrounded by people who didn't know God, wanted nothing to do with God, didn't believe he existed. And I had an English class where I had to write papers. I had a captive audience because I had a professor who had to read my papers. And so I got an opportunities to write about my faith, write about Jesus, write about the scriptures as much as I could, introduce that into the topics, however I could, I had those opportunities. I had just taken biology. I didn't pass it, but I had a, a decent understanding of it. I knew how the scriptures connected to science. I knew how the scriptures connected to life. And now I had an opportunity to sit in a biology class where we're talking about evolution and creation and ask questions and talk to my classmates and go, yeah, but what about or how about? Or, and just engage. And God gave me an incredible opportunity. God had taken multiple failures in my life and turned them into priceless opportunities. I'm convinced that God wants to do the same thing in your life too. We have an incredible opportunity coming up in just a few days, six days. We're going to have four Christmas Eve services, and I've been talking about this and beating this drum for a long time. I've been encouraging you guys to do a couple things, right? Come early, park far, sit close, and stay late. We want you to come to a service, come a little early, ready to engage. There's going to be people that have not been here in a long time 
or there's going to be people who have never been here. And just imagine them walking into those doors for the first time, maybe not knowing anybody. And you're not sure if you know them. You might recognize them, but you forgot their name. And it's scary for them too, and it's scary for you and I to go, I don't know if I've met you yet. Or can you remind me of your name, right? And start that conversation that we create this welcoming atmosphere. And we want you to park far. And we're asking our worship team and other leaders to park out here, out that way in the dirt and the mud, so that when your friends or your relatives come, the best parking spots available are the closest ones and they're not the handicapped ones. We want you to sit close, right up here, right up front, okay? I have not bitten anyone in two years, okay? These seats are all safe. Why sit up close? I know that's super scary, right? Tim's right there. He's going to make eye contact with me. I know. But we want you to sit close so that when your friends or your guests or other people show up for the first time and the lights are down, they just checked their kids into their nursery, the music's already started, they're stumbling in maybe a little bit late because it's, it's crazy, it's Christmas time, and they're trying to find a place to sit. And Reed is starting to walk them up Closer and closer and closer, and they're going, oh, am I going to sit on stage? This is so awkward, right? They can sit back there because those seats are empty because these seats are full. And stay late. They're not too late, okay? It's Christmas time. Go home. (laughs) But hang out a little bit. Stay around just a little bit. Talk with people. Mingle. Don't run out of here like something's on fire. But talk to people. And then go home, right? It's Christmas. Go do that. Spend, I know you got other things going on, family gatherings. You got to go to grandma's house. Got to go to your kid's house, whatever. You got to wrap presents. Um, lots of fun things going on. But we want to prepare. We want to prepare for what's going to happen because you and I, we have an incredible opportunity this coming Saturday and Sunday. And so here's what I'm convinced of, that God used an unlikely variety of messengers to proclaim Jesus' birth. He can use you. He can use you and me to be his messengers too. We have opportunities. Even though you might have invited people in the past and they said no, or you might have thought this was an opportunity, but it seemed like a closed door or a dead-end road, you and I, we have incredible opportunities Everybody who heard that message, they were amazed. They were astonished. But notice how Mary responds. Verse 19, but Mary, Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Verse 20, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and had seen. It was just as the angel had told them. It's amazing that Mary took all of that in and she treasured it. She kept it. It was this idea of of protecting it like a mom would protect her baby. Why did she do that? You know, she's, it's this idea of her protecting it, but it's also the connected to, she was thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it, connecting all the dots. Oh, wait. I remember Isaiah said something about this. Isaiah predicted something 700 years ago about a baby being 
born, about the Christ coming. And she's connecting all these dots. Oh, yeah, there was this thing in the Garden of Eden with, with sin. And, and one day, someone was going to come and crush the head of the serpent. She's connecting all those things and wondering, who is this baby? What is he really going to do? Who is he going to be like? How do I mother him? And she began to treasure all of those things. What does it look like to treasure Jesus? Because of all the unlikely messengers, the most unlikely was baby Jesus. She treasured that. And her response is incredible. You know, I'm reminded of a story of a guy named Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel wrote a book, uh, Case for Christ. He's written a, a number of books. And in one of his books called The Unexpected Adventure, he tells a story um, where he, he's a journalist. And he's working for a newspaper. And one day he's packing up his briefcase. He's about to head home. And as he's packing everything up, he kind of feels like there's this tugging on his heart. God had put a coworker on his mind, and he just felt like, I should go invite this guy to one of our Easter services. And it was a strong feeling. He didn't really know what to do with it. So as he's finishing packing up, he goes into this other office, bigger room, and nobody's there except for this one guy. And he's like, perfect. And the, the feeling is so strong. So he's expecting something dramatic. He goes over to the guy and says, hey, I don't know if you know, but Easter is right around the corner. Would love to have you come and join me and my family for one of our Easter services. And this guy is a hardcore atheist, and he just gives them a big fat no. And he realizes, okay, well, the, strong, the feeling was so strong, like surely God is going to do something. So he keeps pushing and keeps pushing. Hey, wh what do you think about the resurrection? What do, you, do you have any interest in spiritual things at all? And the guy's like, no, 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 no. And finally he's like, man, what a waste of time. And he's humiliated by this conversation, just feels really terrible and embarrassed and says, well, you know, um, <laughs> if you have any questions, you know where my desk is, and he, and he leaves. Well, fast forward a number of years. He, he leaves that conversation not thinking anything is going to happen. Maybe at the very best, this was going to be one link in a very long chain of conversations. But to that day, Lee still understands this guy is a skeptic and an atheist. And fast forward, and Lee is now a pastor at a church called Willow Creek in Chicago. And he finishes preaching a sermon Sunday, and uh, after the service, a gentleman comes up to him and says, hey, I just want to shake your hand. Thank you so much. You've had a profound impact on my life. And Lee doesn't recognize the guy at all. He says, well, that's, that's very nice, but who are you? And the man said, well, let me tell you my story. You see, a few years ago, around Easter time, I was out of work. And I called my friend on the phone who worked at the newspaper company. And I said, hey, do you have any work for me? And he said, well, can you do any tiling? And the guy said, well, I've tiled my bathroom. <laughs> like, I could tile some floor, whatever. And he said, well, if you can do some tiling, we got a job for you. So the guy came in, and he began to tile. And one day, not long before Easter, this guy is doing some work. He's on his hands and knees, and Lee walks in 
to that office. And he's there as Lee begins to invite his friend. And he said, I was on my hands and knees behind the desk when you walked into the room. I don't think you even saw me. You started talking about God and Jesus and Easter and the church to some guy, and he wasn't interested at all. But I was crouching there listening, and my heart was beating fast. I started thinking, I need God. I need to go to church. As soon as you left, I called my wife and I said, we're going to church this Easter. She said, you're kidding. I said, no. We ended up coming to this church that Easter and my wife and my teenage son and me all came to Christ that Sunday. And I just wanted to thank you. And that's incredible because what Lee thought was a failure, what Lee thought was a dead-end road, what Lee thought was a closed door turned into, be, turned into something far more amazing. That God, in his grace, changed someone's life. He changed an entire family's life because of one invite. So imagine, how might God use you and me this week? How might God use you and I this week if we just take one invite and we share it with somebody? Because God has called us to be his messengers not his convincer. Let God do the convincing. Let God do the one who changes people's lives. You and I are simply called to be messengers. So here's my challenge to you, that you would, on your way out, take two invite cards. We'll say three, because you probably need one for yourself so you remember what times to come, right? Reed made that abundantly clear. But to take two and this week, make two invites. A friend, a neighbor, a coworker, someone you see at the gym, someone stressed out at the grocery store, and just invite them. Say, hey, I would love for you to come. I don't know what your plans are this Christmas. We have four Christmas Eve services. Would you come and sit with me? And see what happens. But just imagine if all of us invited two people. Imagine how God might use just one of those invites. Next, we have these cards. They're starter questions back at our Welcome Center. And, and they're questions that will help you get into a conversation about faith. Questions like, hey, what do you think happens when you die? I mean, you could ask a coworker of that, a classmate, and say, hey, what do you think happens? Or you could say, hey, how do you know something's true? How do you know something's true? These are just starter questions to get you into that conversation. Who knows where it might go? And so these questions are back there at our Welcome Center along with our invites. And my challenge to you is that you would take two and simply invite those two people because you and I have been called to be messengers, not convincers. Let me pray with you. God, it's absolutely amazing to hear about how you've continued to work all throughout humanity. It's amazing to see you change lives all over Broome County and Susquehanna County. And we have an incredible opportunity coming up 
to invite friends, coworkers to one of these Christmas Eve services. It's my desire that, that you would give us the courage and boldness to invite people that maybe we wouldn't normally think of inviting or we're a little intimidated to invite. But I ask that you would fill this room, not so we can pat ourselves on the back, but they would hear about the good news of Jesus, and that you would change lives like you changed that life in Lee's story. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. You guys got one more in you? You guys got one more in you? Let's do it.